Again, welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. I just want to point out that what Joshua referred to earlier as Ben's junk is nothing less than the word of the Lord. Uh, So keep that in mind as you vote for elders over the next 48 hours. Now, in all seriousness, welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. We're happy that you're here, whether you're here in person or on Facebook Live. And we hope that some of the people joining on Facebook Live will be able to join us more in person in the coming weeks. Uh, The more our attendance starts to slowly get closer to normal, a little more crowded the room gets, but we will adjust and we will figure out how to solve that problem because it's a good problem to have. Now, this is our final morning studying the life and ministry of the prophet Elijah. In week one, Elijah bursts onto the scene in the corrupt northern kingdom of Israel and quickly established his prophetic credentials. He called out the wicked king Ahab on his sin, pronounced judgment upon Israel in the form of a devastating drought, performed a miracle or two, and yes, predicted the future. And then in week two, Elijah confronted Ahab and his wife Jezebel's idol worship by challenging their false prophets to a duel of sorts on top of Mount Carmel. The one true God made his power known by sending fire from heaven. And Baal, the wannabe god that Ahab and Jezebel worshipped, was exposed as a fraud. In week three, Jezebel threatened Elijah's life, and Elijah fled in fear. But God cared for his discouraged and weary servant by meeting his needs, making his presence known to him, reminding him of who he is, and getting him back on mission. And then last week, Elijah once again addressed the sin of Ahab and Jezebel, this time against a vineyard owner named Naboth. If nothing else, the sad story of Naboth's vineyard shows us just how unwise it is to put our trust in human rulers. And the story reminds us of our need for a much greater king. And who is that king? It's Jesus Christ. Fully God and fully man. The one who lived a perfect life, was crucified for our sins, rose from the dead, now sits at the Father's right hand, and one day will come again. But as we approach the end of Elijah's story, what comes next for this firebrand of a prophet? What will Elijah do once King Ahab, his primary foil in the story, is out of the picture? Well, in short, the mission will continue after Ahab dies. In fact, the mission will continue even after Elijah himself is out of the picture. Even with Ahab dead and Elijah gone, God will continue his work in the world. And that truth alone teaches us some valuable lessons. So open up to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. Feel free to follow along, whether you're here or at home. But before we do any reading, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we've had together. Thank you for five Sundays now of getting together. Thank you that we've had five Sundays of of good health, five Sundays of increased levels of comfort and, and confidence, getting back together as a church. And Lord, we ask that that would continue. I ask that you would watch over us as we worship you this morning, that it would be honoring to you and beneficial and joyful for us. 
I pray for those who are not here this morning, whether they're watching on Facebook Live or watching later. I pray that even just watching this service on a screen uh, would be good for them as well. And Lord, we thank you for this story in the Old Testament, the story that we might not be all that familiar with, but teaches us valuable lessons. Thank you for the lessons from the past four weeks. Thank you for the lessons that we will learn today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you for this church. And we love you. We praise you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, two Sundays ago, we saw God command Elijah to anoint his prophetic successor, a man by the name of Elisha. And yes, the names can be confusing. Elijah with a J, Elisha with an S. We saw that in 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 19. So Elijah with a J departed from there and found Elisha with an S, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. And he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Like Elijah, we don't know a lot about Elisha's background. Based on what we read, we can gather that he may have come from a relatively wealthy family and lived a pretty good life, though mostly normal. But beyond that, we aren't really sure. But what is clear in the passage we just read is that Elisha leaves whatever old life he had behind. He makes a clean break. He doesn't look back once he parts from his family to follow his new mentor. Meanwhile, King Ahab is the same old King Ahab, corrupt, wicked, and mostly incompetent. In chapter 20, he gets into several military conflicts with the nation of Syria. And Israel wins, but their victories have more to do with God's kindness than with Ahab's leadership. In chapter 21, he commits the grave injustice we read about last week, stealing the Baath's vineyard. And then in chapter 2, Ahab 22, Ahab once again seeks out false prophets, forms an alliance with Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and starts yet another fight with Syria, only to die like a coward by a random arrow. But if you read the story, you see that it's not all that random. Now, what kind of legacy does Ahab leave behind? One just as shameful and dishonorable as his reign. We see Ahab's legacy in 1 Kings 22, verses 51 through 53. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned two years over Israel. Two years is a short time. We're about to see why. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshiped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. 
In Ahab's case, the old saying is true. The sins of the father are the sins of the son. Like so many other bad kings in the Bible, Ahab's son Ahaziah follows in his father's wicked footsteps. Now, by the time you move from 1 Kings to 2 Kings, King Ahaziah's reign is already coming to an end. The reason his reign was so short is because he suffered a fall from his balcony. And after two years as king, he already lays on his deathbed. And as his life slips away from him, Ahaziah does not think to seek the one true God's mercy. Instead, he still tries to convince the false gods, still calls out to Baal to manipulate his fate. You would think by now that Ahab's family would have learned their lesson, but they are just as rebellious as ever. And as far as Elijah goes, well, he's just as much of a prophet as ever. He sends a message that Ahaziah will not recover from his injuries. He calls down fire from heaven on the king's servants, and he rebukes Ahaziah for failing to seek the one true God, just like his father before him. So in the case of Ahab and Ahaziah, the apple does not fall far from the tree. The more things change, the more they stay the same. But then as we pick up in 2 Kings chapter 2, a major change takes place. 2 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, spoiler alert, Elijah and Elisha went on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And Elisha said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here. For the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. 
And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Some have referred to verses one through eight as Elijah's farewell tour. He moves from city to city in his final days. He's been a great prophet, certainly one of the more interesting prophets. But it's time for Elijah to go. He knows it. Elisha knows it. Everyone else knows it. Turns out it's hard to keep a secret when all your friends are prophets. But no matter where Elijah goes, Elisha sticks with him. If Elisha is as committed to God as he is to his mentor, then he will make a great prophet as well. But really, Elijah is more than just a mentor. Elisha refers to him as his father. That's part of why Elijah makes that request before Elijah leaves, the double portion of his spirit. In God's law, a firstborn son would receive a double portion of their father's inheritance. And Elisha wants a double portion of his father's prophetic power. But that's a request that not even Elijah has the power to meet. That's why he says it's a hard thing. God alone has been the true source of Elijah's power all along. If you think back to chapter 19, when Elijah was depressed on top of Mount Sinai, you can remember just how weak of a man Elijah really was when he was on his own. God alone can fill Elijah with that same prophetic power. God alone can give him that double portion of Elijah's spirit. But Elijah departs with one more fiery display. He doesn't die. Instead, he's taken in the blur of a whirlwind, the heat of flaming chariots, the light of blazing horses. And it's a touching scene as Elisha leaves his son behind. It's heart-wrenching to picture Elisha crying out, My father, my father, as Elijah disappears. But there is good news in that part of the story. The good news is that Elisha saw it happen. He saw the chariots. He saw the horses. He saw the whirlwind. That means that God has granted his request. That means that Elisha has the double portion that he asked for. That means that Elisha has the same power of God within him that his father Elijah had. We finish the passage in 1 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2, picking up in verse 12. Then Elisha took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. So just like that, there's a new sheriff in town. Elijah is gone, but he has a clear successor. 
Elisha puts on his father's cloak and picks up right where dad left off. He parts the waters of the Jordan, just like Elijah did. He would go on to perform even greater miracles than that, even greater miracles than Elijah. He's acknowledged as the next great prophet from God, and God's work will continue through him without skipping a beat. But I guess the question is, what does this mean for us? How is the transition from Elijah to Elisha, the passing of the prophetic torch at the end of 1 Kings and the beginning of 2 Kings, how is that relevant to us? Sure, Elijah was a fascinating and charismatic biblical figure. And Elisha will prove to be no slouch either. And there's nothing wrong with knowing parts of the Bible that you might not have known before. But besides that, what are some practical takeaways for people like us? Well, a couple of thoughts. Number one, reading these few chapters, you can't help but think about the concept of legacy. King Ahab's immediate legacy was his son Ahaziah, the king who followed in his footsteps and committed all the same sins against the one true God. The prophet Elijah's immediate legacy is his son, Elisha, the prophet who followed in his father's footsteps and obedience to the one true God. You put these two examples next to each other. And you cannot find a greater opposite. For better or for worse, we often see the same principle at work today. We often follow in our parents' footsteps. And those who come after us often follow in our footsteps. Sometimes to the benefit and God's glory. And other times to our harm and leading to God's judgment. Of course, that's not always the case in our day and age. It's not always the case in the Bible. We are not guaranteed to be just like those who came before us. And those who come after us are not guaranteed to be just like us. There are numerous stories of those who are nothing like their ancestors. Numerous stories of those who will do anything to not follow in their ancestors' footsteps. For better Or for worse. But it's easy to see the examples of Ahab and his son Ahaziah. And Elijah and his son Elisha. It's easy to read these stories and think about your legacy. What kind of legacy did those before you leave? And what kind of legacy are we leaving for those who come after us? Is it a legacy of love and worship and obedience to the one true God? Or is it a legacy of wickedness, corruption, and worshiping everything but God? Of course, we can't control who came before us. But we don't have to follow in their footsteps. It won't be easy. It can be an incredibly hard thing to use Elijah's words, to overcome the sins of those who came before us and have to some extent been passed down to us. And likewise, we can't control those who come after us. We can do everything right 
and leave a wonderful legacy of love and worship and obedience to the one true God, only to see our successors abandon him entirely. Producing worshipers of God is not an exact science. We can't press all the right buttons and pull all the right levers and twist all the right knobs and poof, comes out a Christian. It's not how it works. Overcoming the legacy of someone before us and leaving a good legacy of believers after us is an impossible thing, a hard thing, by our own power alone. But we strive to set good examples. We teach. We control what we can control. And we pray, like Elijah did, that maybe, just maybe, by God's grace, Elisha would see that whirlwind and see those chariots and see those horses and believe. We pray the same thing for those who come after us. We pray that knowing that by God's power, fruit can be born that will last long after we're gone. We see the legacy that Ahab left for the kings who came after him. We see the legacy that Elijah left for the prophets who came after him. And we ask ourselves, what kind of legacy are we leaving? That's lesson number one. Lesson number two, pretty simple. Everybody's replaceable. Everybody's replaceable. As impressive of a figure as Elijah was, guess what? After he left, the beat went on with somebody else. The same is true of Moses in the Old Testament. Elijah reminds us of him several times in this story. He too had a vision of God on Mount Sinai. He too parted the Jordan River. He too had a slightly less than normal death. Moses died. Joshua took over. And God's work continued. Elijah left. Elijah took over. And God's work continued. Prophets come and prophets go. Kings and queens rise and kings and queens fall. Nations ascend and nations descend. Next, next, next. Keep them coming. But God, he is steady through it all. His work does not depend It never has depended on any one unusually charismatic or amazingly gifted or charmingly likable figure. In the Bible, and in our day and age, it is always God's power. Not one person's skills or personality or achievements that truly undergirds his work of redemption in our world. Prophets are replaceable. Kings are replaceable. Pastors are replaceable. Elders are replaceable. You and I are replaceable. And one day when you and I are gone, assuming that Christ doesn't return first, God's work in this community, this state, this world will not skip a beat. Now, in a way, that realization is incredibly humbling, isn't it? If God is powerful enough to take someone as unique and talented as Elijah away and still continue his work. If God is powerful enough to continue his work through the reign of a terrible king like Ahab or Ahaziah. 
If that's true, then he's powerful enough to continue his work in the world without you and without me. Sure, God uses us to accomplish his work. It's a great privilege that we get to participate in it. But God does not depend on you. God does not depend on me. This thought is incredibly humbling. But it's also incredibly freeing. Knowing that God does not depend on us means that we can serve in the places that God has put us with joy. Without all the pressure of thinking that accomplishing his work is all up to our strength of will, our blood, our sweat, our tears. It's not all up to that. God uses those things, but it's not all up to that. It never has been. And even when we are long gone, we can trust that the work of our sovereign and wise and powerful God will carry on. It will not skip a beat. Everybody's replaceable. Or at least almost everybody. There's only one man who God's work in the world has ever truly depended on. One man whose shoes could never be filled by anyone before him or anyone after him. Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. After his death and resurrection, as he prepares to ascend, he gives the great commission and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the apostles preach, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then in Revelation 22, verse 13, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Everybody's replaceable. Everybody but Jesus. So may we reject the legacy of those who came before us who didn't love and worship and obey him. May we leave a legacy of love and worship and obedience to him for those who come after us. And may we remember that God's work never truly depended on Moses or Elijah or Elisha. It never truly depended on having a good king like David, and it never stopped during a bad king like Ahab. God's work doesn't truly depend on you. It doesn't truly depend on me. But we do get the privilege of participating in it. The only man who God's work ever truly depended on is Jesus, God in the flesh. So may we love and worship and obey him alone. Because unlike Elijah, he truly is irreplaceable. And as long as he lives, which is forever, God's work continues. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we've had together to worship you. Thank you that even though... Kings and prophets and 
pastors and elders and people like us come and go. We rise and fall. Like the grass, we wither. Like the flower, we fade. Like a mist that appears, we vanish. You remain constant. You remain the same. Your work continues. And Lord, that just gives us all the more reason to worship you. And we are the beneficiaries of your work. We who know you, we who love you, we who believe in you, we who obey you, we are the beneficiaries of your work in this world, your work in the Old Testament, your work in the New Testament, your work in the years leading up to us. We are beneficiaries of your grace, and Lord, for that, we praise you. And so be with us as we prepare to leave this place in a few minutes, as we prepare to sing, may our songs be honoring to you. May we worship you as truly irreplaceable and leave a legacy for those who come after us of love for you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.